1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
0: Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. The biggest battle we will ever have to face is the battle between you and you. It's the battle of taking your mind to that limit and then breaking through. On the Mindful Experiment Podcast, we will share concepts, universal laws, and interviewing individuals who have done just that, who have gone through the dark times and through those moments, allowed their light to shine bright. I'm your host, Dr. Rick Manzo, and I want to thank you for listening to the podcast and taking this journey with me as we discover different avenues to break through those limits, expand your reality, and evolve into the person you desire to be. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. This show is sponsored by Empower Your Reality. Empower Your Reality is an online consciousness school that is designed to help you elevate the mind, raise your consciousness, your vibration, to attract and create the reality of what it is that you desire. On Empower Empower Your Reality, we have books, we have online classes. You can find the podcast here on there and other things that can help you elevate and truly learn the art and the science of creating the reality of what it is that you want to experience in your life. So for more information to check out all that we're up to and what we're doing, please visit www.EmpowerYourReality.com. Now, back to the show. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Vic and you're listening to another episode here on The Mindful Experiment. As we spend once a week interviewing someone about something that they're doing that helps us level, change the mindset, shift our life, help us raise our consciousness something along that nature. This week, I had the distinct honor and pleasure of interviewing Jonathan De Potter. Now, Jonathan is part of Behold Retreats, and this conversation we had was absolutely amazing. I think what he's doing and the work he's doing in plant medicine could really transform individuals across in any aspect of your life. And we talk about it. I share my, a little bit of my ayahuasca experience of what I went through and how it helped me with my spiritual growth. But Jonathan is doing some amazing things. We talk about the essence of ayahuasca. Drugs and why is I why is plant medicine or you know when we look at it from the war on drugs was it the really the war on consciousness we get into um, the concepts of ayahuasca and psilocybin and just explaining what that is and how it can help you as an individual just in your life your spiritual life and so much more um, I had a lot of fun he shares a ton of great research he has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to this and he has. A ton of retreats that he does around the world that he'll share later into this episode. I highly, highly recommend checking out what he does. Um, this is a topic that's getting a lot more popularity. You hear a lot of celebrities doing ayahuasca and so forth. And there's there's things that you want to make sure. And, and what I really appreciate about Jonathan with what he does with the whole retreats is that he does it right. And, and in, this, in this space, you want to make sure you're going to work or know someone who does it just that way. So without further ado, I'm excited to share this episode with you guys. Here is Jonathan DePotter. Jonathan, welcome
1: to the show. Hi, Vic. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: I'm excited to have you on. I love what you're up to. I love what you're doing. I think it's uh, extremely valuable in so many ways. And and I'm not going to get into that. I'm going to let you share the value of that um, with all that you're doing. But, um, you know, it it, I'm, it piques my interest. Uh, how did you, what's your story of how you got into what you're doing today and how you're serving the world and all that good stuff?
1: Yeah, so um I only found plant medicine uh, about five years ago. I had my first ayahuasca retreat in Peru um, and kind of winding all the way back. I grew up with super hippie parents, grew up in Hawaii, um, beautiful place to grow up, but it's got a lot of dark energy surrounding it. And so, you know, the narrative that we're fed in school around substances is, of course, just say no. Um, And from what I saw around me in Hawaii, that kind of aligned, you know, um, I saw a lot of negativity, a lot of darkness with uh, substance use, substance abuse. Um, And so that kind of, you know, kept me away from anything of that sort for the overwhelming majority of my life. Um, I went into the corporate world uh, many years in consulting um, before actually, you know, kind of reaching that place, that place in my life and reaching that place in my career where I was just like, is this it? You know, I was an atheist at the time. I was working like an absolute dog, you know, up up at 6 a.m. and finishing work by midnight most days. And I just thought, I remember looking at myself in the mirror one day and going, is this it or is there more to life? And so I took a year off and as part of that, uh, wound my way through Central in South America and uh, attended an ayahuasca retreat with a couple of buddies I love that
0: can you share a little bit uh, don't have to go in depth but like real quick explain what ayahuasca is and then uh, uh, maybe even share a little bit of your your, your first ayahuasca journey
1: if you don't mind Yeah, sure. So uh, ayahuasca is a powerful entheogenic or psychedelic brew. Um, It's made up of two plants, the ayahuasca vine and the chacruna plant. uh, And it's kind of brewed together over the space of a couple days. Um, and it's got a kind of anchoring in Central and South American indigenous traditions. Um, and, you know, there's quite a few uh, different indigenous and shamanic traditions throughout Central and South America. So the variety of the ayahuasca itself can vary um, quite significantly, and the traditions can vary quite significantly as well. Uh, my own first experience was with um, uh, with ayahuasca was in Peru, uh, just outside of Cusco in the Sacred Valley, which is an area that's very well known for this work. Um, and the experience that I had was incredibly overwhelming Uh, I wasn't I wasn't adequately prepared Uh, I was not particularly well looked after from a spiritual perspective Um, from a physical perspective I was very well looked after Um, and then I wasn't really guided in terms of the integration of the experience so walking into that as an atheist and then you know honestly speaking having my uh, my head blown off to a greater or lesser extent uh, and then and then being let back out the front door and back out into the world uh, is not the way that I would necessarily recommend anyone do it. But um, but certainly it was a very informative experience and it's uh, it's guided me on a fundamentally different path, which I'm pretty grateful for every day.
0: Yeah, I, could, I would definitely say the head blown off, walls broken down. Yeah, that, that, that sounds about right. Um, it has caught a lot of steam and popularity in the last five to 10 years. Um, I know when I first did ayahuasca, it was more of just a calling to something of that because my my interest and I've never had done anything in my life, drug wise or, or plant medicine wise or anything along those lines. And, um, I remember it was just DMT kept calling to me and I started studying DMT and the neuroscience behind it and how our brains work and how it's in plants and how it's in it. And then it was just fascinating. And I was like, okay, how do I get my hands on that or learn how to access that? Right. And then a friend out of nowhere, a friend out of nowhere, I actually, it was a colleague as a chiropractor. Um, I was just meeting because we had a lot of, um, uh, we we're part of a circle. There was like a lot of connections there and I never met her. And I was like, you know, let's, let's get together. Let's, I want to get to know you a little bit more. You're in another area of the town. I have patients I can refer you to. And so long, that's basically why we were connecting. And then all of a sudden out of the blue, she looks at me and she goes, you have to do ayahuasca. Something's telling me I have to tell you that. And I'm like, hold up, wait a minute. For three months, I've been re- <laughs> researching this. And now all of a sudden you're telling me, um, so wow. w- it's one of the things where you know when it comes to the ayahuasca plan, because I have pa- I have not patients, but I have friends be like, Hey, have you heard of ayahuasca or you know, uh what what, what you know, I mean I'm, I'm thinking about doing it. I think it's really great. Is ayahuasca meant for everyone, or is it um is there like a checklist or how how's that process work or how's that look?
1: Yeah, um I think I think that's such a an important question to ask, Vic. It's you know, I think as plant medicine and ayahuasca gains and gains in popularity, more people are experiencing these these very deep spiritual um, experiences without necessarily understanding their own personal motivations. And I think that's such a shame. I think it's super important that we all take the time individually um, and understand what these experiences represent um, and develop in a very deep set, in a very deep way, our own motivations for working with these powerful plant medicines. And, um, you know, I think, I think, Listening to our intuition um, is, is an important component of that. You know, you can draft up the, the rational reasons to, you know, improve your health and well-being and relationships and sense of purpose and belonging, you know, all of those sorts of benefits that have been proven out by uh, the science from Harvard and Yale and Johns Hopkins, et cetera. But I think ultimately there is something greater than that, which is listening to your intuition and, you know, feeling called as you described it, Vic, that is as important, if not more important than any rational reasons that uh, that we might hold. And I know so there's there's
0: that, you know, in the United
1: States, they
0: I forgot the, the, you'll know this better than I will. Um, they still look at it as a, an illegal substance, right? I forgot what, what's the... Do you know the level offhand of, would it? They say this
1: is not, it's an illegal substance of, I don't know. Yeah, I think to. it's, I think it's class, I think it's schedule one or class A.
0: Yeah. And so, you know, sometimes people hear that or people have said like, oh, ayahuasca, that's a drug. That's, that's, that's for, you know, people who are druggies and things like that. Um, can you break that myth down? Why, 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 maybe why do people think of it that way? And then what is the real because to me, I believe that things in the universe and life and everything in, in, in humanity's, you know, uh, evolutionary process, things become popular out of need, not out of want. And uh, we, we can dive into that. I would love to pick your brain on that stuff. But we could. Is it is it a drug or is it truly plant medicine? And how is that different from a drug?
1: Yeah. And I, and I guess the the nuance would probably lie in how we define the word drug. Right. Right. Um, is it a drug in the pharmaceutical sense? Uh, I would say no. Um, these are two plants that have been brewed together and have been, done, have been brewed together for thousands of years. Is it a drug in the sense that it can be an, applied uh, to a human in order to treat a common disorder or to improve the quality of life of the individual? If that's the definition of a drug, then I would say that the answer is yes. Yes. Um, Is it something that should be classified as a, quote, unquote, you know, illegal drug, uh, illicit substance that damages other people? Um, I would say no. Um, And I think, you know, some of the science that we're seeing proves that out. And actually, the reason that we see this massive explosion in ayahuasca tourism when tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people traveling to Costa Rica, to Peru, et cetera, is that. You know, people now understand that the science is proven. You know, that there's all the all the science is out there. The research papers are out there for autoimmune disorders, for anxiety, for depression, for um, overall you know sense of purpose, belonging, well-being, all of those sorts of things. Uh, and so the science is there. That, but Fundamentally, the policy hasn't caught up yet, and so we've got this massive gap between something that appears to work far better than anything else that we've got, um, but we're not able to access it freely and legally within, you know, the 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 overwhelming majority of North America. I love that. And, and, and to me,
0: I love, I love the, I mean, the term is just perfect plant medicine, right? And it's, it's designed to do something because one of the questions I have is something with, with, uh, well, I have conversations with some of my friends when we talk about ayahuasca and you know, I've only done it on a weekend. It was one time. That was it. That's all I needed at that time. Um, I haven't had a, have an inkling to go back yet. Uh, my experience was very profound still to this day. Um, still picking pieces from it. Um, but then I have some other friends who have done it routinely. Often, um every quarter, or every six months, um, yeah. is there a difference between one and the other, or is it, it is up to the
1: individual? I know you're talking a little bit about intuition, so i 'm kind of just curious yeah, um so first and foremost, it puts a smile on my face to hear that you're still picking bits out of your experience so many years later. I think that's that's so beautiful and and so important. I think. As it becomes more available and as more people participate more often, what can often happen is that they are not actually putting themselves in a state where they can significantly benefit from a given experience. And it has become a bit, you know, the casual use has become far more commonplace now. Um, there's, there's some great research out there that has shown that, um, if there's kind of three categories that they look for in terms of potential benefits from ayahuasca. So the first is joy for life. Um, they ask a series of questions in terms of, you know, joy for life. The second is uh, relationship to the sacred or spirituality. And the third is removing feelings of negativity and, and, or toxicity, Now, what's interesting from the science is that ayahuasca seems to have profound benefits to number one and two. So they improve our joy for life and they improve our spirituality and relationship to the sacred. But interestingly, they do not remove our feelings of negativity and toxicity. And I think that's something that's so generally overlooked that people are going and having these very profound transcendent experiences, but they're skipping the actual work to be done, which is the mental and emotional work to break through the ego. Uh, and so I think that's, you know, that, that explains, I think, to a large extent why the overwhelming, you know, number of psychedelic communities are not necessarily uh, a picture that we would uphold as a thriving kind of community uh, because, you know, they haven't done the mental and emotional work. And I, and I see that that's become really quite common that people are skipping the mental and emotional work. I appreciate you bringing that up because that's something I keep seeing a lot of. And it was one of the
0: things where uh, the shaman that I worked with uh, during that time, I remember afterwards, uh, my third day, I'm sitting there and I'm like trying to figure out my life in a sense, Um, not in the sense of like what I want to do, but just because my walls were just blown down. And, you know, the generator in the brain is gone at that moment. And I'm like, who am I? What is going on? What this isn't? <laughs> how am I going to go back into the world? That's my whole uh-huh. my whole thing was just how am I going to go back into the world? And I'm talking to him about that. And he's like, don't worry, everything will come back. You'll see. Just sit with it. And I'm like, well, I'm the type of person I sit for a very long time. So and that's why I've been still marinating things through that process. Cause my wife and I will talk about it. Cause she did it with me. Uh, she was my mm-hmm. girlfriend at the time. And it was one of the things where we go, she's like, would you go do it again? And I'm like, I don't know. I just don't have that inkling, but I go, I'm a fan of it. I think it's great. It, but you have to be, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong. I, I always tell people you have to be ready for it because if you're not like for me, I walked in not knowing. And I think that was probably better. Cause I had no expectation. I didn't know what I was getting into. I heard all the stories and I'm like, Oh, this is great. I can, Uh, I'm gonna feel more uplifted. I'm gonna work on things. I go. I already have a very big spiritual practice in my life. I'm like, I got this. I can handle this. Yeah, (laughs) Um, yeah. (laughs) I I still to this day. I I I joke around. I go. I have PTSD from all that. But (laughs) no, it was uh, it was great. But it's one of those things, you know when individuals go through that process, um, this is why I love it being called plant medicine, because that's what it is. And, you know, you're working through stuff and, and can you kind of explain the process of that? What does ayahuasca really do for the individual and how it's not I me? Mean, I love how you explain how the differentiation between a pharmaceutical drug and a drug per se. Um, but how is it truly plant medicine? And if you don't mind I, I, how, as far as you want to elaborate that, what it does for the individual from a a, you can go physical you can go spiritual however you want to explain it
1: yeah sure um so i think i think it uh, a help—a helpful place to start might be to describe the typical state of the modern Western brain. So um, most of us have experienced uh, early life trauma. Um, and An example I sometimes give is, you know, imagine you're carrying some groceries in for mom and uh, mom's had a long day. You're five years old at the time and you drop the groceries on the floor, something breaks. And in that moment, mom yells at you, you never get anything right. Just get out of the way. Now, five-year-old you isn't able to distinguish between that which should take hold in the subconscious and, would, and that which is just mom at the end of a bad day. Um, and so that can take hold in, in the subconscious. And so, you know, if, if and as the child is playing in school the next day, receives the ball and then that tape plays back, oh, you never get anything right, just get out of the way. That can actually fundamentally set the child on a different developmental path. Um, and, you know, so, so even a minor, minor infraction can have quite significant impacts to a child's development. So that's the first dynamic. The second is that we're just overwhelmed by modern life. There's so much going on. There's so much competing for our attention. We've got so many things going on in our personal and professional lives that, honestly speaking, our brains are just overwhelmed. Now, as a response to everything that's going on, the overwhelm, our brains tend to begin to take neurological shortcuts in our thinking. Now, that sounds like a positive, adaptive response, but in practice, it's actually Doing damage to the software of our brain, those neural neurological shortcuts actually are a bit more of a short circuit, um, and our our brain then becomes overly patterned in its thinking, um, and a little bit deterministic even, rather than you know the full neuroplasticity and, and range of access to our brain that we are generally looking for. So. What these what these plant medicines do is that they they one of the things they do is they down regulate what's described as the default mode network in the brain, uh, which allows a massive reconciliation and information exchange between parts of the brain that normally do not communicate. And so this can lead to, um, you know reliving early childhood experiences, traumatic experiences, challenging experiences, could be good experiences, could be bad experiences. Um, and so basically, you can see that, you know, if you scan a brain, a modern Western brain, you can see that it's super fragmented in its exchange of information. By contrast, you can see that uh, brain on plant medicine is highly interconnected. Uh, and what's even more interesting to me anyway, is that if you scan a Buddhist monk's brain with 30 years meditation practice, the brain looks looks analogous to the brain, a Western brain on plant medicine, but nothing like a Western brain without plant medicine, if that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. And I've
0: seen what you're talking about. And I've seen that research and it's just fascinating how it just lights up the brain, like looking at a, you know, a New York city with all the lights on and so forth. It's unbelievable.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, that's, that's kind of the context for 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 what plant medicine can do, and then you know I think a powerful plant medicine like ayahuasca, it's got it's got 463 compounds in it, right? So it's a very complex medicine um, relative to what we're doing in the West, which is pretty obsessed with uh, compound isolation and, and looking for that silver bullet molecule. So there's so much happening with ayahuasca, as you know, in terms of detoxifying the body, in terms of reconnecting the mind, body, heart, and spirit, you know, the healing sort of experiences, the, the healing and the detoxification in the body. Uh, and then also, you know, getting us those guide, that guidance and those insights for how to improve our quality of life on an everyday, on an everyday basis. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's the thing about like, you know,
0: psilocybin, ayahuasca, there, you know, even uh, MDA or uh, MDA? No, is it MDA? Anyhow, uh, ecstasy, uh, MDMA, right? Yeah, MDMA, there we go. Um, And all these different things are starting to become more into clinical trials and studies. Again, I really believe it's because as humans, we've gotten so vastly disconnected and we live more in the physical world and, it, and we're supposed to. That's why we're here uh, for other reasons, too. But, but I also believe that we've gotten so disconnected from who we are that the, the nature is kind of like, let me, this is an opportunity to help reconnect you back. To that yeah. place of understanding. Cause what are some of the things you've seen? Cause I've I've seen it, I've heard it, I have friends that have gone through it. You know, they've tried a gazillion things to help them from a mental health co- capacity, and nothing seemed to work. And then they did ayahuasca. I had friends who've done psilocybin and I have friends who've done MDMA. And all of a sudden, their life has transformed and elevated their mental health. Um, What are some things that are common that you see when it comes to uh, stories that people have done it and how they help transform their life?
1: Yeah, so one of the dynamics that I find particularly interesting and kind of what has ultimately led me into this space is that most people... when they finish an experience, right, once they've come back from a retreat and they're they're back at home, um, they feel like they've had a completely transformative experience. But what tends to happen over the weeks and months that follows is that life falls back into its groove, right? So we've had these, these neurological patterns that have been established over decades and decades. And so, yes, a lot can be achieved in, say, a week-long retreat. But a lot more is actually required in order to sustain those, those potentially transformative changes. So there's a lot of people out there that I would say that, that would declare that ayahuasca or psilocybin has changed their life, you know, turned it, you know, turned it so much for the better. But then if you actually look at what's going on in their lives, there may or may not be evidence to suggest the same, right? So I always encourage clients that are looking for um, a really great experience to really, to really ask others in terms about their transformation right so where were you before in life in terms of your um You know, physical, mental, emotional health. Where were you before in terms of your relationships, your passion for work, your abundance that you were manifesting in your life? All of these sorts of things. And where are you now? And and how is it that this experience or these sets of experiences have guided you along this transformation? And how is it that you see the world differently relative to before? If it's the same patterns of negativity and judgment and you know low self worth, et cetera, then yes, you've had a very powerful psychedelic experience, but have you really had a transformative experience? And so that's where I think there's massive potential to improve the quality of conversation and and indeed to improve the quality of work uh, in relation to these powerful medicines. So
0: I have to ask this question because this is what I went through and I know many others have, uh, and I'm I'm curious if you have to, why does it take you to the dark side first? Why do you have to go? I mean, why is that process there? Um, I always, people always ask because they'll hear, I'll tell them the other side of the story. And then they're like, oh, that sounds like something amazing. And I'm like, hold up, hold up, let me take a step back. Let me walk you through what I went through
1: <laughs> before I got to
0: that place, because that's what you yeah. need to hear. And you need to be ready for that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so so what these plant medicines are, are are doing are temporarily elevating our consciousness. Right. So um, there's various maps of consciousness that are out there. I like to use the one by Dr. David Hawkins. I think that's a, a very powerful one. Um but it's important to recognize that they are temporarily elevating our consciousness and so what's happening is that as as the medicine is trying to bring us up into you know into the light into the source into connection with the universe whatever it is that you you would like to describe it as what needs to happen is that you need to go down to clear all of those things that will allow you to move further towards the light. And that's just a, you know, everything in this universe is organized in polarity, right? Creative, destruction, light, dark, you know, all of these different polarity, uh, polarizing forces that exist in the universe. And so in order for us to move towards the light, all of those things that have, previously prohibited us from reaching those states of being need to be brought into the light and so we need to re-experience them to see them for what they are um, so that we can learn from those experiences and avoid avoid putting ourselves in situations and contexts that have those those darkness or those darker energies associated with them. I love how you said it. I love how you brought up Dr. David Hawkins. His
0: work has transformed my life and uh, very powerful work. I recommend the listeners to check out his stuff. Yeah, it's pretty interesting because I know, you know, it's just like life, right? I really believe it's the same essence where you're just using something that's so powerful and opens you up to a whole world of massive, just, am I I still to this day? I'm like, I still, I'm like I said, I'm still picking pieces because, you know, as you know, you go through that experience and there's just so much information that you just can't from the left brain logical trying to get into memory type of place it can't handle that It only handles five to seven bits of pieces of information per second where the the right side of the brain where ayahuasca is opening up and you're tapping more into uh that that takes millions of bits of information per second and uh right. it, it's a fascinating you know the process but like life you have to go through the darkness to get to that light and, and really really do that now, for some of the listeners, maybe they have heard about this before. Can you just share? Because I've had people bring this up to me, and that you see it in movies too the throwing up part. Now, I, my <laughs> wife did not go through that at all. I only had one episode of that in a whole entire weekend. Um, but why does that happen?
1: Yeah, so um, there's a lot of different reasons why one might purge. Now, when you're working with real experts in this space, um, and and I should say that there are actually very few that I would say fit that description. Um, I spent you yep. know years uh, and weeks on end throwing up in uh, various jungles around the world, all the best five star retreat centers, but. Um, there's actually very few real experts in this space. And I think that's an area that uh, we, really need to, we really need to work on is developing our, our breadth of expertise um, uh, across this industry. So um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's three reasons um, for purging. I guess that you could describe them as physical, emotional, or spiritual. Um, and in essence, you know, it could be any of those reasons. It could be energetic. It could be some, you know, very powerful emotional experience, or it could just be the physical detoxifying effects. Right. So, uh, in the West, we've got generally speaking, not so healthy diets that are filled with all sorts of chemicals from the food that we're eating. Uh, and one of the first things that ayahuasca likes to do is to, uh, move those things along. Uh, so it's coming out one way or the other when potentially both,
0: (laughs) Yes, totally. I I, I uh, can definitely uh, relate. Yeah, and I, I remember that I was talking to my shaman about that, and he was like, "Because again, I appreciate you bringing it up too. How there's very little. Um, uh, there's a lot of people who are taking advantage of this also in, in the store in the process. Did you hear the stories and so forth? And I remember, you know, when I was getting, I remember I was talking to my friend when she was recommending ayahuasca. I said. Please send me a picture of the shaman and I'll know if I should work with him or not. Um, I am intuitive and I can read people's energy off a picture and I'll know where their their intention is and where their heart's at. And uh, I looked and I was like, holy cow, I saw this person in my dream. This is crazy. Like I knew this was like the person I needed
1: to go to. So it's kind of interesting wow. how that lined up. Um, wow. But it, yeah, that's, I, that's, go ahead. I'm sorry. That's so interesting that you mentioned that because that's that's a large part of how we work as well. So if you're if you're already familiar with Dr. David Hawkins scale and you know this is moving more into the spiritual realities, but for us we always uh, require um, you know for for the clients as well as the practitioners that we work with, we we do energetic tests on them to make sure that this is in their best interests and that they are doing the work at the highest quality level because there's actually very few practitioners in this space who have successfully elevated their consciousness and understanding that in of itself is a massive surprise because the, the reality is that you're not going to be able to elevate the consciousness of others if you haven't successfully done so yourself. Amen to that.
0: Yeah. And like David, Dr. David Hawkins talks about in his book, Power Versus Force, he, you know, he says majority of people stay in a small range In their consciousness, and there's very few that break out of their consciousness. I call it ancestral curse, but it's just the energy of where individuals at. And so, uh, I appreciate you bringing that up, and so much more.
1: Yeah. Oh, good. I was just going to say, and and that's. And I think I think that's going to shift during these next few decades, because I think a lot more people are going to focus on this topic more directly, which is I think it represents a massive opportunity for us collectively and individually. And so as more people do elevate their consciousness, then, you know, the motivations shift from desire and envy and, and pride and all of those sorts of egoic needs about I, me and my and more towards the more holistic needs that, um, that uh, that we could all benefit from, and so I think, yeah, it's uh, it's an exciting time to be alive in that regard. Now I do have one question. This may get down a conspiracy
0: route. I don't. I mean, I'm not saying it will, but um, why do you think that all the mind uh, or consciousness—I uh, don't know what to put—the word experiences or uh, elevation, uh, things to elevate our consciousness? Because um, if you look at it, you look at you know Schedule One drugs uh, list on here, and you got things like. I mean, there's, there's uh, MDMA, there's uh peyote, there's, you know, marijuana's on that, but that should, that changed the United States. Um, you got, uh, you know, psilocybin and all these, you know, there's some other ones on there too, like heroin, but, uh, but a lot of the ones that are mind altering in the sense of, ele- to me, I would say elevating consciousness um, are illegal, but there's other things that are, and if you don't want to answer or you don't have an answer, that's fine. I'm just wanted to ask you that. Um, is it because, you know, they're trying to hold back not to let us be free in a sense or just not to let us to expand our consciousness in a certain way? Uh I'm just curious.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's a lot more people out there that are now describing the war on drugs as the war on consciousness. Right. Um And that was just a, a bit of a branding play. And I think and I think you're exactly right. I think. A lot of people are questioning whether or not governments have their individual interests in mind, um, and I'm not going to propose an answer to that, but I think a lot more people are taking back, um, shall we say, ownership for their their own health outcomes, for their own educational outcomes, and I think that's important that, um, that people feel inclined to do so because it's, it's empowering, right? When you are relying upon government for this or that, or the other, you are just kind of, you're putting yourself at the behest of the average. Right. And I think each of us deserves better than that. And so taking back ownership and responsibility for everything in our life, whether that be diet exercise, you know, every aspect of our life, what media we consume critically, what, um, yeah, what energies we allow into our life, what, uh, what things we're watching late at night. <laughs> All of those sorts of things have a very significant energetic footprint in our lives. And so people are becoming far more conscious of that and recognizing that, you know, the typical diet, whether that be technological or, you know, um, or, or food or, you know, even medicine is not necessarily yielding thriving results for, for each of us. So, um, yeah, again, I think it's an exciting time to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't
0: agree with you more. I, it's just the way of my mind, because when I was first getting the ayahuasca and I had my experience, and I was just like, holy cow, there's a lot of people who can use this and benefit from it. And then as I got into the research, I was like, wow, every single thing that I'm researching that talks about expanding the mind and all these different things and help us. I mean, I, I like I said, help in many different levels uh, uh, was illegal and not allowed in the United States. And I'm always like, huh, I wonder why. And then I'm looking at me being a chiropractor, you know, I look at, you know, I could look at, you know, other drugs that are perfectly well accepted. And I'm always like, how is that? It's just like in, in United States, you know, alcohol, not that I have anything against alcohol. Um, but if you just look at like alcohol is widely well accepted around the world. And but when you look at alcohol and what it does to the body, what it does just from a physical standpoint and neurological standpoint, I'm not even talking spiritually, just yeah. those two concepts. I'm like, why is that accepted but the marijuana was banned? And Uh, And I'm like, I've done research where uh, when I was in chiropractic school, a couple of us got together and we're like, okay, well, let's look at marijuana and let's see if we could find an an, an, an ever like a mindset wise, if there's a reason why we're banning it and making it illegal. And is there any negative effects to support that from a neurological standpoint? That's how we were looking at it. I was the energy guy, uh, energy medicine guy. We had someone who was specialized in neurology and nutrition. And we're just like, let's all come together and let's just see. And we couldn't find anything. Not once, you know, and I was just like, and that's where my mind started to go. Wait a minute here. Not saying there's an agenda because that gets too much into the conspiracy side. I don't like to go down that route, but it's just like it's just an observation of anything. So I appreciate you answering that question.
1: You know, I think I think the 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 U.S. government made a pretty substantial, um, you know, I think they made a pretty substantial move when, you know, in the 1960s, 1970s, the U.S. had a pretty global expansionist type of agenda and uh, as all of these hippies were expanding their consciousness and refusing to pick up weapons and go shoot at people they'd never met before they were like hey we don't really like that and i think that that i think has played quite a significant role in uh, why these were made illegal back in the 1960s and the 1970s totally i mean lsd i mean
0: right That was one of the 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 big ones back then yeah Um, for sure so we gave a lot of love to ayahuasca. I just want to, you know, pick your brain on psilocybin. I know that is taking a lot more into the research world right now. I know it's being well more accepted, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's on level three um, on a research side. I don't know if you know this, uh, are familiar with this or not, but um, I don't know what the clinical trials go to. I don't know if it's three or four. Um, I know MDMA is moving to the last one. Um, what is psilocybin and how does that work? And how, if you don't mind sharing too, how is that different from ayahuasca this is something i know they call it shrooms or magic mushrooms and this is something i have never done i won't do because you can have bad trips and we'll talk about that later but uh i I, i'm very like uh my wife jokes with me all the time she's like yeah you don't like anything hallucinogenic I'm like nope don't don't wanna i don't mind that world but i it is not fun for me so you mind sharing i apologize
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, psilocybin is the active molecule within magic mushrooms, as you described. Um, and within the clinical trials, what we're generally referring to is, is in fact, uh, synthetic psilocybin. So it's, it's, the isolated synthesized compound molecule um, that's being used in those clinical trials. And so that's a large part of why psilocybin has actually been given priority over, say, a more complex medicine like ayahuasca, which has, you know, 463 compounds in it. Um, it's just there's too much variability in ayahuasca. And so for clinical trials, obviously the scientific method, we like to be able to control for uh, variables and to control for dosage. So psilocybin. Uh, Um, facilitates that far more effectively. Um, Yeah. And so we've got, you know, two decades of science now from Johns Hopkins. There's any number of new research centers popping up literally every week. I think just in the last couple of months, there was a new psychedelic research center from Mount Sinai. Um, I know there's just been one in Massachusetts. Just this week, there was one announced from UCSF and one of the best published Um, researchers, Robin Garhart Harris is actually moving from, uh, Imperial college in London to UCSF in order to open up this new center. So, you know, we're really just at the beginning of, of the science here. Um, and we, we really still understand only very little. Uh, and what's interesting is that we're now seeing a lot of the scientists and the researchers, um, reach out to spiritual underground practitioners and say, Hey, would you be willing to come into the lab and begin to show us a little bit more about what we're actually trying to do here? Because we're coming at this from a little bit of a brute force scientific methodology. And we might be actually able to accelerate, you know, the scientific understanding of the spiritual realm. If you guys would come in and do something with us. So I think that's super exciting because there are so many more layers to be understood by the science that, um, that are, that are generally underappreciated at the moment, you know, that today they just basically lump all of the mystical experiences together and say, ah, yes, you've had a mystical experience, but you know, the relevance and the profoundness and the, implication in terms of level of consciousness reached uh, for each of these mystical experiences has very different connotations um, for an individual. And so as we begin to turn what has been written about in various spiritual books that are sitting on dusty bookshelves here and there and everywhere, um, and we can turn that into scientific fact, I think that represents a massive opportunity for us to thrive collectively. Uh, And so, again, very exciting.
0: I love that. It. Yeah, it's we're in exciting times with all this stuff. And I'm curious, too, because my, my mind goes this route a little bit when it comes to like, so they're doing studies and it's on the one it's philocybin out of the shroom. So there's no studies then that do with, uh, you know, ayahuasca has 400 and I think what 60 compounds you're saying, correct? Yeah right? And so a little harder to isolate that. With psilocybin, that is the one molecule they're isolating out of the sh- uh, magic mushrooms or the shrooms mm-hmm. or the, the, the plant. Um, is there any studies being conducted where they take the whole plant? Because like my world is always, uh, I'm in the holistic world. So it's like, how do we holistically take everything compared to just isolating? Um, are there any studies on that? Or is it just strictly the psilocybin And that's the only thing they're, they're focusing on?
1: necessary compromises are being made in order to fit these new modalities into what I would describe as a broken medical system right um, and so isolation compound isolation seems to be one of those necessary compromises my belief and and I and I and I think I'm more optimistic than most is that we will come to understand that there are actually Deeper benefits, further benefits from a more holistic approach in actually using the plants as opposed to the synthetic compounds. And there's a lot of discussion and debate around these subjects at the moment, particularly because there's a lot of, um, shall we say, uh, psychedelic capital moving into this space that are looking to command and control the whole industry, which is kind of at odds with uh, you know the uh, the nature of the work. But you know that's that's the reality of the world that we live in. There's there's people who are always wanting to move fast and to capitalize and make big dollars on any opportunity. And so there's, yeah, some different energies, shall we say, moving very quickly into this space to try to to make the most of it.
0: Yeah, I was curious, because it's like, it's the same thing with like marijuana and things like that, and the studies I've done. And, you know, at first, you know, years ago, I was like, no THC, all CBD, that's where we need to go. And then I started looking at more research on the combination effects and how um, THC, when you when a take when you take the whole plant, there's different variables and how it affects the brain and how it protects the brain, how it can help with so many different factors, and there's all these little compounds that we just don't know yet. I mean, we're just you know we're tapping into it and studying it like crazy, but there's the synergistic effect is always going to be in my opinion way more um, important it's like plants and everything else everything exists for a certain reason I've seen it in supplements I've seen it in everything so it was I, I didn't know that they were just isolating psilocybin only so I appreciate you sharing that with me because I think it takes I think there's a different effect to it when you use it all versus uh, just taking the one even though you do get that experience you can control it you can you know again like science right reproducible valid we can keep making it happen over and over and over again um, but then there would be becomes that point of how much are we taking away from the natural experience and how it was intended maybe
1: absolutely and through that medicalization as well and through that synthesization what we're seeing is that i think the lowest price point for one gram of synthetic psilocybin is something like five thousand u.s dollars <laughs> wow holy uh, and cow you, you compare that to you compare that to a grow kit that you can order online for 40 bucks or whatever, right? And you're going, okay, what's, uh, what exactly is going on here?
0: <laughs> well, it's just like anything else with Big Pharma, and I shouldn't say Big Pharma, but just in general, right? How do they try to isolate, and then once they can isolate, they throw a patent on it, and now they control price.
1: Yeah, that's it. And there's there's so many people that are, I mean, there was uh, one company that got quite a bit of flack recently, uh, ATAI, Atai Life Sciences. Uh, they were trying to patent handholding during psychedelic therapy. they were trying to patent soft furniture during psychedelic therapy. They're trying to patent a high quality sound system during psychedelic therapy. And you're just like, what on earth are you talking about? <laughs> that is so crazy. That's unreal. Uh, it is.
0: Wow. Anything for profit, right? That's uh, kind of the process yeah. here. Um, Jonathan, this was awesome. I feel like I can talk to you all day about this stuff. This has been, uh, I, I love talking about this in, in the realm, in the right way. I like to say, I, and I don't like saying, right. Cause it sounds judgmental, but it's just, you know, sharing it. And I love what you guys do. I mean, I love the whole, you guys muscle test people and all that stuff just to make sure. I think that's awesome. Can you share just really quick something about your retreats and stuff? Um, and, and so forth has COVID well, before I go there, has COVID play a role in some of those treats, like uh, with everything that has gone on?
1: Yeah, so um, just to clarify, so we don't actually do uh, muscle testing, we do dowsing. so it's you know similar sort of, um, we use that same Dr. David Hawkins scale, but we can do so remotely without any um, physical interaction. But um, yeah, so, so what we do, which is different than most, is three weeks before a retreat um, with really high quality guided preparation. Right. So doing pe- helping people with the mental and emotional work, guided self inquiry so that they re- really can set deep and meaningful intentions um, and begin to teach them tools that they'll be able to use in ceremony to help them make you know, big breakthroughs and uh, progress in a short space of time. Uh, and then guided integration. So once they're back in the real world, making sure that they have, you know, the, the necessary guidance to let go of those things that are no longer serving them and also the tools to begin to manifest their future selves uh, as they return home. So, yeah, I mean, COVID has COVID has slowed us down a little bit, no doubt. Um, but uh, a lot more people have been interested in doing private retreats which is which has been great that's uh, something that you know if people are in a financial position to do so i would highly recommend um, i personally have had all of my major breakthroughs working privately as opposed to a group of 20 people that are you know variously throwing up in a, in a large room not exactly ideal circumstances in my mind for uh, <laughs> You know your dark night of the soul, as you as as you correctly pointed at to earlier. So so yeah, I mean it's um, you know what what we try to do is to provide the right container for people to sustain an elevated consciousness and that's really what we're looking for um, through this work we see all of the other benefits that have been proven out by science are really a byproduct of an elevated state of consciousness and so um, you know as i mentioned before you know the mental and emotional work is really a fundamental component within that i love that and uh, I think, yeah, private would be definitely
0: way more unique, I think, in that way, versus with the group. Because when I did it, it was about 20 of us in a room and it was a lot of energy shifting, throwing up, who's crying. And it was just, I mean, for me, I was able to just stay focused on where I was because I was uh, in the first day. Um, 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 what do you want to call it? It's just in a deep state of fear facing my fears, I should say. Yeah. Uh, but it's one of those things. I think that that's pretty very, very cool on that level. Um, how can people connect with you find you what you're up to all the things that you're doing? Uh, how, how can they uh, reach you?
1: Yeah, you can uh, look us up on Behold Retreats, -retreats www.behold-retreats.com. And uh, if you guys are up for a life-changing journey, just come through and uh, put in an application. You'll speak with either myself or one of my team.
0: But Jonathan, thank you for all you're doing. Um, I'm a big fan of ayahuasca in many ways, philocybin, you know, even though I am very fearful of ever trying that, but I am a big fan of it in the sense of what it's doing for the consciousness of humanity and helping the individuals and everything that I've been researching on that. So uh, appreciate having you on. Thanks for taking some time to join uh, here on the Mindful Experiment and uh, share your wonderful things that you're doing and letting me pick your brain here a little bit for the listeners.
1: Thank you so much, Vic. Really appreciate it.
0: Check us out on Twitter. The handle is Dr. Vic21. Follow us on Instagram, www.instagram.com forward slash Dr. Vic Manzo. If you were inspired by the podcast, pay it forward by sharing it with someone who you know can benefit from it. Thank you again for listening to the Mindful Experiment Podcast, sharing paths to help you rediscover your infinite potential.